Hello, this is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege each and every week to join you for the Speaking for Him podcast. And I really appreciate the opportunity to encourage my fellow travelers on this journey that we call life, and I hope that you are blessed by what I have to share today. Today's podcast brings us back to a list of characteristics that are unique to Christianity that I introduced a few weeks ago. And we're going to just start at the top of the list and work our way down to talk about the blessings that we have in Christianity. Uh, because a lot of times people on the outside looking in look at it as a list of do's and don'ts and they don't want to be restricted by it. But there's actually a lot of liberty and peace in choosing to follow Christ. Does that mean that everything will be easy? No. But the difference is that the hard stuff will be easier to weather when you have the friend that sticks closer than a brother by your side, that being Jesus Christ. So I'm really looking forward to digging into each one of these one by one with you, and today's will be lasting joy. So hang on for that, and we'll get to it in a few moments. But first, I want to talk to you about what is going on. Well, last week I shared a clip from the Jen Fulweiler show, and it was dealing with the issue of people choosing not to have children and what the long-term ramifications of that was. And I told you that that was really encouraging to me, so I just wanted to pass the encouragement on to you. Well, Jen did it again, and I'm really excited to share with you her thoughts. These particular clips deal with the issue of this modern idea that we have in America where everyone has to emphasize their individuality and go their separate ways when, in fact, families as a structure last or should last into adulthood. Here's the first clip. So we put our money where our mouth is. We could have had much more glamorous careers and much more money if we had just picked up and abandoned our support system and abandoned our family and moved somewhere else. So you better believe, you better believe that I'm going to guilt trip my kids into staying near family. So all that is to say, um, it helps me a lot with them growing up. Because I don't think I'd survive it if I had that typical American mentality that I have to just encourage them to go be individualists and visit me maybe once a year if they can get it on their Google calendar for the, all six of them for the rest of their lives. I, I'd, I'd commit seppuku. I like, I, there's no way I just wouldn't. I'm no way. And, and by the way, asterisk on this, keep in mind, I have no siblings. I am, I wasn't able to be raised close to, I only have cousins on one side of my family, wasn't able to be raised close to them. So they're not, they're not leaving me alone. I do not have like some sister who I can go, I don't have any of that. So that, that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it. But, um, so when I see my kids getting older, uh, yes, I would imagine it's very, very, very heartbreaking if you think of it like, okay, from here on out, I see them once a year. They are living their own totally individualistic lives. They're abandoning me because that's what here in America we think living your best life looks like. And all this is done. Family schmamly. They need to go. Now I follow their bliss all the way to Sweden. 
Can I just say that this is one of the main reasons why I started speaking for him uh, several years ago? It's 13 years this year since I started speaking for him, and my main purpose in starting this ministry was to show the importance of family as a bedrock of our society and to show that multi-generational legacy is important. In Deuteronomy, we see Moses warning the children of Israel how important it is to realize that the Lord our God is one God and that we are to teach these truths to our children and our children's children. That cannot be done as effectively at a distance. So this idea that individuals have to travel long distances and find their own path to separate from their families, I think is not a biblical concept. Now, there may be times for a specific job, for a specific reason, when you may need to part ways. I have brothers in the service, and they are all over the country, and so that happens sometimes. But as a general rule, I think that families need to be together. And the idea that she was bringing out was this idea that if you are living in a typical American way and you're living out of state and you only see your parents once or twice a year, then it can be easy to count on your hand, potentially, how many times you'll see them before they die. And she said that was sobering. And I just really appreciate the perspective that Jen gives in this clip where she says, we stayed in a smaller city. We stayed connected to our family, even though moving to L.A. or some other big city could have helped both of our careers. Her her husband, Joe, I believe is an attorney, and she is trying to launch a stand-up comedy career. And so she's saying, I made this sacrifice for my family because I believe that family and extended family is important. And I just really resonated with that. And I think that it's so important for us to get back to the blueprint of the Bible and not say, what does culture expect of us? And I think she expands on that well with this second clip. I do think it is simply something to think about that maybe the reason you want to lock yourself in a closet with a six pack of white claw and a weighted blanket and some Sarah McLaughlin music <laughs> when you think about your kids growing up is because you're buying into the American individualist mentality that tells you that you need to encourage your children to only see you once a year for the rest of their lives so that they can work on their career or whatever. Um, just reject that in whatever way works for your family and it will bring you a lot of peace. Again, very sobering thoughts, in my opinion. You know, when I think about what she's talking about here, she's talking about this mentality of the fact that you only have 18 years to build into your children, and then you let them go into the world. And again, I don't see the biblical basis for that. We just talked about the importance of a multi-generational legacy, and I really applaud Jen for bringing this out. You know, she does a lot of comedic things on her podcast, but when she gets serious, it really is eye-opening and informing. And I'm so glad that God changed her life from someone who is a single atheist. She she even said uh on occasion, she's like, I was living for myself. 
I think that was something we talked about uh, last week was that she said, I'm, I was living for myself. I was an, a, an only child who was an atheist. I didn't have purpose in life. But then she committed to God and her priorities changed. And now she is a mother of six. And the interesting thing is both her and her husband are single children. And so the very idea that they have six children to watch grow up and potentially grandchildren is a very exciting prospect. So I just wanted to bring these clips to your attention again. I do recommend the Jen Fulweiler show. As we move along, I want to talk about a story that has been growing ever since the overturn of Roe versus Wade, which is a situation where people are threatening violence against Supreme Court justices. Glenn Youngkin is the governor of Virginia, of course. He's very frustrated that he can't help do more to protect the justices. Watch here. I wish we could do more. And this is why I've called on Attorney General Garland to enforce the federal law, which is so clear. You can't parade and picket in front of a judge's home and try to influence them. This is not a moment where we can allow anything to happen to our justices. Broadly speaking, this is about democracy. So does, is there anything that he could do that would be at the state level that is not available to him, obviously, at the federal level, since the attorney general apparently is hands off? Well, thanks for having me, Dana. First of all, the priority is the responsibility is with the federal level. If there is some form of state law that he can enforce, yes. But I'll tell you right now, the inaction of the Department of Justice is a signal to these protesters. I mean, you mentioned it as bounty money at the top as far as money being paid to harass, intimidate Supreme Court justices, not just the justice, but their family members. The attorney general has done nothing to stop this, to deter it, to enforce the current federal law. And that is a signal to the protesters. Go ahead. And then you have Joe Biden basically saying the same thing. We will support you. One final point on this. You got the White House press secretary basically hiding under the First Amendment, freedom of speech. This is a violation of law. Freedom of speech only goes to a certain point. Leo, um, you might have seen the tweet. But you might not have seen the response of Morton's The Steakhouse, where Brett Kavanaugh was eating last week. Here's the tweet from Shutdown D.C. asking, hey, if you got uh, if you know where somebody is, Supreme Court justices, send us 50 bucks. And if they're still there when we get there, we'll give you two hundred dollars. What is this world? Morton's put out a statement saying that they won't allow it. They won't talk. If more restaurants did that, you would see less of this. Bravo to Morton, and I hope they stood up and they said, we're not going to tolerate this. They respect the Supreme Court justices. They support the idea that freedom of speech and the right to protest is limited to a certain extent. And here, Morton stood up. They will face the backlash, but I am very proud of them. Basically, Bill, what they're doing is with these bounties, they're giving employment opportunities to professional protesters, specifically against the Supreme Court justices. Okay, so to give some background to what they were discussing in this story, uh, we had a situation this past week when Judge Kavanaugh was out for a steak dinner and he was essentially forced out of the restaurant by protesters. And then there was mention of a sign that was put up 
near or on the restaurant, the steakhouse where he was at, saying if you see Brett Kavanaugh or any of the other justices that are conservative that voted to overturn Roe, to let them know, and you could get between 50 and $200 for being an informant on the Supreme Court justices. Let me just say, as a conservative, I would never threaten or chase down Sonia Sotomayor or Elena Kagan or former Justice Breyer or Katanji Jackson, for that matter. I would not do that. That is not proper behavior in response to a Supreme Court decision. When Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973, the pro-life movement got to work fighting for life. But every time there was a violent act in the name of the pro-life movement, places like Right to Life of Michigan went out of their way to decry such violence. That is not the norm for a conservative. This is something that the liberal side who claims to be about tolerance and acceptance is constantly doing. They claim that the right, especially the far right is all about violence, but they use violence to make their point. We saw this in 2020 with the riots and we're seeing it again now with the protests in regards to this overturn of Roe versus Wade. We're seeing them come unhinged. And our response should continue to be the love of Christ. This is not about a vendetta. This is not about getting them back or saying, see, I told you so. This is about love. This is about the fact that life is beautiful and we need to protect it. The next story that I want to talk about deals with COVID relief funds. Now, we all know that in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, especially near the shutdowns, people needed sustenance. And so there was relief bills that were put forth to give people stimulus. And on the front side, it looks good. But on the back side, it led to some of the inflation that we are now seeing where everything seems to be going up in price and no end of that seems to be in sight, although the things at the gas pumps do look a little bit better. But one of the things that always happens when we are dealing with something like COVID relief or any number of other things is that there tends to be things hidden in the legislation. So here's a, some of this American Rescue Plan money going to things like the you know, anti-racism training, woke, uh, basically, uh, policies. Rochester Museum had a third grade field trip to see a take it down exhibit. That's about a, a statue there. Minneapolis Institute of Arts wants a train guide uh, of the museum to use anti-racist lens when giving tours. A uh, studio museum in Harlem, a build a statue that addresses black masculinity. And in Northwest Mississippi Community College, create campus safe spaces. Now, this is the American Rescue Plan. It's in the title. And I can imagine that federal taxpayers would be frustrated that 
This isn't like a rescue. This is something fine to spend money on if you want to, but why federal taxpayer dollars? Thank you for asking me that question, Dan. I'm a school teacher. I'm a civil rights lawyer. This is a expanded attempt by the progressive to inject racism. Not they they tried the schools now libraries and museums. This has absolutely nothing to do with the pandemic or the COVID. Uh, condition that we have. I challenge anyone. That that black, the statue of masculinity, I want someone watching this program to tell me what does that do to reduce the pandemic or affect COVID? Uh, teaching kids anti-racism, what's the standard, Dana? This has absolutely nothing. Where's an inspector general on this $1.9 million of COVID fund designed for COVID relief but used to progress and expand a racist, anti-critical race theory agenda beyond the schools and this is a backdoor way to do it so first of all you heard in that clip that this covid rescue plan money is being earmarked for things like museums and other public places and it would be bad enough if it was just earmarked in general but what we are seeing is that it's earmarked for the specific purpose of continuing critical race theory. Now, as we've talked about at length on this show, America is not a perfect country, and we've made mistakes. But we cannot start the conversation from a place that everyone has privilege or does not, that there is oppressed or oppressor, And that that is the starting point. Everyone has struggles. I'm sitting here as a white man in a middle class household who has always had my needs provided. And I'm grateful for that. My parents have worked very hard to give myself and my siblings as we were growing up everything that we need. I have nothing to complain about in my upbringing. However, if you were to embark on the white privilege conversation with me, I would have to ask you, what kind of white privilege is it when I have been out of college since 2006 and have never worked a full-time job? That's not white privilege. That is me facing discrimination of varying levels all throughout my professional career. Now, I understand that that's just a fact of my life, and I don't blame our country for that. I think this country is the greatest country that has ever existed. But I have struggled in both my personal and professional life because of things that people don't know, assumptions that they make. So it is not restricted to if you are a minority race. This happens to white people as well. So we need to keep this in perspective. And we also need to realize that there are small business owners and other people dramatically affected by COVID that need help, that need relief. And if we are going to go down the government route, 
That is what these COVID relief rescue plans should be about. Not the latest endowment for a public museum and certainly not for a museum piece that perpetuates a distorted version of history. As I said earlier, today we are digging into the first of the unique attributes of Christianity that we introduced a few weeks ago, and that is lasting joy. Now, as we begin, I want to share our quote of the day. Our quote of the day is from David Jeremiah, who says, When our lives are filled with peace, faith, and joy, people will want to know what we have. I think this is such a key place to begin our discussion on lasting joy because a lot of times what happens is in our culture is we'll see someone win the Super Bowl or have some other earth-shattering life accomplishment and they'll praise God for the opportunity. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't, and I think it's great when people that have that platform do. I remember several years ago when the Rams won the Super Bowl under the leadership of Kurt Warner and he won the Super Bowl MVP and he got up and they said, first things first, how does it feel to win the Super Bowl? And he said, first things first, I give all glory and honor to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you for the opportunity. And I think that was a great way for Kurt to be a witness. But I think it's far more powerful in many ways when someone goes through a trial, when someone goes through a struggle, and at the end of the day can still say, God is good. I'm reminded of Job because he said, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And when he was wasting away from the boils and he was in pain, he still said, I know that in my flesh I will see God. So Job's perspective was, no matter what happens to me, God is in control and he is still good. And I just think that's a very powerful thing. And why can Christians have that attitude? It's because of the lasting joy that Jesus gives. And I think it's very important for us to note the difference between joy and happiness. Now, they can work hand in hand. Um, A lot of times people say that someone is joyful if they're often happy. But joy extends further than happiness because happiness is contingent on circumstances. Joy is contingent on who we know, and that being Jesus Christ. So that even if bad things are happening around us, even if we are sad, we can still be joyful knowing that God knows the end from the beginning. So I'm just going to go through this list of different aspects of lasting joy and why we as Christians can experience it in a way that others cannot. And the first thing on my list today is that we can have joy because Jesus never changes. Hebrews 13.8 states, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
I love this verse because it reminds me that no matter what upheaval is happening in our country or in my family or whatever is going on, Jesus never changes and he will always be there for us. A good addendum to this might be, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you from Hebrews 13, 5. And uh, so I am very blessed that we serve a God who does not change because Jesus made certain promises to us when he was on the earth. He said, I'm going to come back and receive you. And we can believe that because Jesus nature never changes. He is incapable of lying. And so we can trust him. The next aspect that I want to talk about as far as our lasting joy is that we can have joy because our sin is gone. I pointed out in a sermon that I gave this past Sunday that it was very significant that when Adam and Eve sinned, the angels came to guard the tree of life so that Adam and Eve would not take of that tree. And I said at the time that when I was a kid, I was kind of confused by that because I was thinking, why would God not want them to eat of the tree of life? But the reality was that if they ate of the tree of life as sinners, with this newfound knowledge of good and evil, then we would have had eternal life as sinners. I potentially could have eternal life in a wheelchair. So instead, God guarded that tree kicked them out of the garden and said, I'm going to send a redeemer to you and he will set things right. And then after the fullness of time, Jesus came and he has taken away our sin if we trust him. And so we can have joy. Here is what the Bible says about that. It says, for even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And that's First Peter 2, 21-24. God did not just want us to live a good life. He gave us the power to do that. He took our sins upon himself in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could live unto righteousness. And we do that by his power. And that is certainly something that brings me joy, and I trust that it brings you joy as well. We can have joy because we know that all things work together for good. Now, this is an important clarification that needs to be made. This verse is not saying all things are good, but rather all things work together for good. Romans eight twenty eight and 29 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And that's Romans eight twenty eight and 29. 
So in this passage, we see that God orchestrates the events of our life to work out good. And it might not be good in our lives, and we might not see the good on this side of heaven. Job had no idea why the devil was tormenting him, or even that it was the devil. Um, All he knew was that things were going wrong, and he endeavored to stay close to God and to believe in God's faithfulness through it all. And so that reminds me that I may not understand everything that is going on in my life, but I know that God has a long-range plan. And God's long-range plan for Job was that his words would be written in a book. It's interesting that he says at one point, oh, that my words were written in a book. And they are written in a book for our edification and for our benefit. But as Job was going through that, he had no idea what the end result would be. And as far as I know, he didn't find out this side of heaven. So that's encouraging to me. Again, I hope that it's encouraging to you uh, that the goal of our life's experiences and often the goal of suffering is to conform us to the image of his son, to be like Jesus. And for those who may say God does not want Christians to suffer, um, I think that's inaccurate because Jesus left us an example of being willing to suffer for the benefit of others. That's why we have a Christian faith because Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. We can have joy because our inheritance is guaranteed. There's a lot of things in our lives today that are not guaranteed. We don't know what the gas price is going to be the next time we go to the pump. We don't know if we're going to wake up the next day. We don't know what's going to be around the corner for us financially. There's a lot of uncertainty. But the one thing that we do know is that God has rewards for us when we get to heaven. Here's how Peter describes it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And I want to point out a couple things. First of all, Whatever that inheritance exactly entails, we will find out one day. But we know that it is guaranteed that it is incorruptible and undefiled. There's nothing bad about it. And it will not fade away. It will be there for us when we get there. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. And he's preparing one of those rooms for you and one of those rooms for me. And we can... We can... Take that to the bank, so to speak. We can rest in the assurance that he will do as he has said. The other thing that I want to point out is that this says we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Sometimes it can be discouraging because sometimes we make mistakes and do the wrong things and don't live in a Christian manner. But the thing for us to remember is that we are kept by the power of God. 
I often say that I'm glad that I can't lose my salvation because I would lose it because I lose pretty much everything else. I'm very good at losing things. So I'm grateful for passages like this that remind me I am kept by the power of God. Colossians says it this way, you are hid with Christ in God. There is no greater security than being hid with Christ in God. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't make our calling and election sure? Absolutely not. We do need to be diligent and make sure that we are living for the Lord. But as we continue to live for the Lord, we will realize that our power to do so comes from God himself. For it is God, as Philippians 2 says, who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So that's important for us to keep in mind. And then we can have joy because the best is yet to come. It's so important for us to realize that the best is yet to come because we look at this world and we we see that it's messed up and we say, if this is all there is, if this is the best we can do, we are in big trouble. But the reality is that even creation is waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus because he's going to make everything right. And Paul reminds us that he has a great plan for our future because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 53 to 58, we read, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, and when there's a therefore, it's good to ask yourself what it's there for. So because death is swallowed up in victory, because death has lost its sting, Paul says, whatever happens around you, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for so much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And this is so important for us to realize that God is in control, that one day all of the trials of life will be over and we will see more than we ever thought possible from the hand of our Father. There's another scripture that says, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man what the Lord has promised to them that love him. And so I'm very excited for that time. But until that time, my prayer for us is that we would be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that really has been the goal of the Speaking for Him podcast, to be that weekly dose of encouragement for you to keep on keeping on and to encourage others in the ways of Christ. And if you are living a joy-filled life, someone that shows joy even in the hard times, as our quote of the day stated, that's going to speak volumes to other people who, are, who you are praying into the kingdom. 
Well, I hope that this episode has encouraged you as we contemplate the lasting joy that comes with being a believer in the Lord Jesus. We know that, as as Paul said, the things that are seen are temporal and the things that are not seen are eternal. So may we turn our eyes to the things not seen. May we look above where Christ sits and may we be encouraged. That's about all I have to share with you this week, but I hope that you will continue to listen. Please share with your family and friends. Please leave feedback with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show. Have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.